I'm Greg Boyd, teaching pastor here. It's really good to be. Uh, it's really good to be here, sharing this moment with you and with all you folks online. Whether you're listening right now or we're going to be listening to this later on, it's, uh, I'm glad that you're a part of this. Excellent. I want to commend my covenant bro, Paul, for doing such a great job on the, on, on the announcements. Um, yes, oh, that wasn't any good. Yes, he, he rehearsed that lots. And you went a little long, Paul, so you're crimping my time here, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you as I always do. I'm always, you know, so Christian towards you. All right. Before I forget, Mary left me this note. <laughs> Moron, don't forget to ask this question. Okay, so uh, next week we're going to be talking about religion. Religion is one of these that's becoming unraveled. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? And, and so here, here's the question, and we're going to, we said every once in a while we want to do these surveys and get your input. And so you can do that right now if you want, if you have an iPhone. Um, can you put the number up there? If you can text in your a- answer to... Uh, Six five one three two one thirty one thirty. What terrible things have people done in Jesus' name? And what terrific things have they done? Just think like two or three. Uh, what terrible things have people done in Jesus' name? And then uh, what, what terrific things have people done in Jesus' name? We're going to be asking the question, is religion good or bad? Does it do more harm than good? And uh, I think you'll be interested in how we're going to approach that. All right. End of that. No taken care of. Mission accomplished. All right. Excellent. If I'm uh, walking, uh, if you've, I'm a little, uh, I might be walking a little bit gingerly here. Because um, I, on Friday night, partied my brains out. And I'm still feeling it. I, I, I'm having a tap hangover. Okay, a, a tap hangover. Tap is, is a, I like to call it a ministry here. Touching all possibilities. Got some tap people here in the house? Yeah, they're rowdy. We got, and, uh. On the third Friday of every month, they have a dance. We throw, throw a dance. And you know, Jesus said when you, when you have a party, don't just invite the people that are expected to be invited, who always get invited, your friends and all that, but go out and invite folks who never get invited to parties. And that's what this is all about. We come together, take off all labels, and we just dance and have fun. And it's, here's what's great about it, is that everyone out on the dance floor is completely uninhibited, and they didn't have to drink a bunch of alcohol to get there. We're just, it's just like that. And so you have a lot of fun, and you remember it the next morning. All right, so this is, so I want to encourage folks to, to check that out. Also, on the uh, show, what is it, the first Tuesday? Yeah. First Tuesday of every month, they have karaoke. And folks just get up and sing, and, and, and for some of you who are into that, check it out. First Tuesday and the third Friday, tap. All right, I love that thing. So we are um, in this series, Unraveling Truth, where there's this cacophony of voices as there are, are, what's that called, the song that leads up to this? What's that called, Mary? Bumper. The bumper, yes, the bumper song. You have all these voices coming in. Everyone's got their own opinions, and we're just in a sea of opinions, some of them hostile towards each other. The question is, is how do you know what is true in a world like this? Um, truth is becoming unraveled, and a lot of things that you thought were, were, were stable and assumed to be true are becoming unraveled. And so we're looking at Christian responses to this unraveling. Last week we talked about the unraveling of the belief in a personal God and gave some considerations there for, as to why to believe that God really is. God is love, and that means God is personal, has a personality. In fact, Christians believe that God is tri-personal. Uh, that God, in some sense, God is a we, because God is love, and love is interpersonal. You can't have a force that's loving, the higher power loves. No, 
it's a personal thing. So God wants a personal relationship with each one of us. And so I encourage all of us to be, make it a habit where even throughout the day, you take time to make God the only dialogue partner in your mind. And shut off everything else and just talk to God. Start by just saying, Lord, thank you for this present moment. And then see where the conversation goes. And make sure that you take time to listen. So we're continuing that today. Um, and we're going to be looking specifically at one of the major objections to a belief in a personal God. And that has to do with what's called the problem of evil. The problem of evil. If, if, if God is personal then why does God allow so much crap to go on in this world? Some of it really unthinkably terrible, painful crap. I think I want to start this way. I want to tell you about a lady I met. I'll call her Susan. Way back in 1992, when I was filling in for Dave Johnson at Church of the Open Door. Do we have some folks from Church of the Open Door here? Back in those days, I, I, I see some of you around. You came from, you, you, were, you were there back then. Gosh, that was 30 years ago. Oh, it just hit me. That's 30 years ago. No wonder I feel so terrible. I'm old. All right. So um, I was filling in for Dave Johnson, and, and uh, at the end of a service, uh, there was, you know, people come up and talk, and there's one lady who waited till everyone else was done, and I could see her. She looked rather intense, but uh, she waited till everyone else was done, and she came up to talk to me. And she told me that she hadn't been to church in eight years, and she told me why. And here's her story. Um, her and her husband had trouble conceiving, and uh, the doctors told them that it's very unlikely that they're going to conceive by natural means. Um, had some kind of problems. I don't know what it was. But uh, and it was really hard for her because she said that all of her life, she, she always just wanted to have a child or children. That was just like a real strong urge for her to bear children. And now it seems like that wasn't going to happen. And they prayed and fasted and did all sorts of things to you know, try to call on heaven to have this happen, but not, it wasn't working. So they were beginning to consider adoption as she got into her uh, mid-30s. And um, uh, right around the time they're considering adoption, she gets pregnant. And so she took this to be a miracle, and, and they, they shared it with all their friends, how God had blessed them with a child, and, and it was just glorious, hallelujah. Everything goes fine until it's time to give birth, and there was some complication, and that's all she said. There's some complication, and her baby ended up being born, stillborn, died. Uh, and you can just imagine how crushing that would be for her. And so her question was this, why would God, it seems, supernaturally give us a child only to snatch that child away from us in the process of giving birth? Why? And so she, she went to a local theologian here that a friend of hers had, was acquainted with and, and uh, asked him the question, why would God do this? And the theologian who later on, uh, several years later, became one of my most vocal critics but this theologian said to her, well, some things are hard to understand um, because God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. Sometimes his ways are absolutely inscrutable. Uh, we don't understand, but we've got to believe that God is still on his throne. He's sovereign when things are going well. He's sovereign in the tragedies too. God's still on his throne. The Lord gives and the Lord takes. Uh, and we have to say, blessed be the name of the Lord, whether he's giving or whether he's taking. Um, 
All things happen for a reason. There are no accidents in God's providence. And since God is all good, somehow it's all for the better. We have to take that somehow this is, was, this is how it was supposed to be. And we just have to accept it. And then he said, and sometimes God sends tragedies our way to teach us a lesson. And, and maybe there's a lesson to be learned here. And perhaps when you learn the lesson, God will bless you with a child again. And Susan's thinking, and I just call her Susan, that's not her actual name, but she's thinking, like I'd ever trust him again. She said that that's when she called the God gig off. That's how she phrased it. I'm calling the God gig. I'm done. And um, that's how it was for eight years. So she, she said that any God who would do that to me, raise my hopes up to this fever pitch and then just drop me like that and take my child is, is, is a moral monster. Um, so a friend of hers who was at Open Door had, had said, well, you know, I think Greg might have a different take on this. Why don't you go ask him what he thinks about it? And so she came to the service, first time in eight years, and asked me this question. So her question was, do you agree with this theologian? And I said to her, let me get this straight. So God blesses you with this child supernaturally, gets your hopes way up here, just your lifelong dream, right to the pitch, and then at the last minute, kills your child to teach you a lesson, but doesn't tell you what the lesson is. I said, I'm sorry, but that sounds like something that a mob boss would do to their worst enemy. Hey, Luigi, I'm going to kill your kid to teach you a lesson, but I'm not going to tell you what the lesson is. What kind of pedagogy is that? It's like some parent attacking their kid, slap them all up and say, hey, guess why I did that? I'm not going to tell you. It's... That does not sound like the God that I know. And she was like shocked. Like, you, really? You think that? And I said, that sounds more like something that the devil would say that other than that's something that God would say. I base all my thinking about God on Jesus Christ, and Jesus reveals a God of perfect love. And perfect love doesn't go around killing kids to teach parents a lesson. Perfect love does the opposite. It's always on the side of life. Then I just told her, I, 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 I said, Susan, I... God's heart is breaking for your heart right now. God, God loves you. And, and God's not in the killing business, but God is in the healing business. And my prayer for you is that you can come up, arrive at a, get a picture of God that's worthy of loving and, and, and worthy of worship and to invite that God in on your pain because he's there already. He's on the inside of your pain. He cries with you. He's, he wants to bear this with you. You're not alone and I'm hoping that you can rekindle that relationship and find healing for this terrible tragedy that happened in your life. And I don't know what came of that, what happened with her. But what I do know is that there's a lot of Susans in this world. I think few people have the kind of nightmare, the intensity of the nightmare that she went through. That's about as bad as it gets. But it's impossible to go through this world and not, and not experience the pain. Some level of pain, and we're just aware, for personal reasons, but also just from watching the news and looking at the world around us, that there's so much pain in this world. So much. And so much ugliness, you know, the fighting and the bickering. And, the, uh, and sometimes I find that I, I, I have to just turn it off. I'm not sure our brains were meant to carry the burden of the whole world when you look at the amount of pain that's in this world. Sometimes I just choose to turn the news off and watch funniest home videos or funny animal videos or you know, something like that because you just can't be overwhelmed with that. But there's so much pain in this world. And so a lot of people are asking the question, 
how do you believe in a God who, that this world's created by a personal God and a God who is governing this world and cares about each one of us when there's such a level of pain and nightmare suffering going on all over this globe? A lot of people are finding that just impossible. And what, what, what intensifies the problem significantly is this, that most Christians, in my experience anyways, most Christians, when it comes to responding to human suffering and to tragic events, most have responses that are close to what this theologian gave. Well, you know, God's timing is always the right timing. I'm sorry, but God must have needed your child in heaven more than, than you needed your child down here on earth. Uh, you know, God, God, providence right straight with crooked lines, and, 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 and God's always still in control. He's still on his throne. He knows what he's doing, even if we can't figure it out. We've all heard things like this. In fact, probably some of us, in fact, I have, I've said things like this. You, you don't know what else to say. Um, and it's, it's, it, you work with, and that's fine. We're all where we're at, right? We're all in process. So it is what it is. But see, this view out there, even for people who don't think that God is a puppeteer and controlling everything, when it comes to tragedy, we fall back on this. It's in all the Hallmark cards, you know? It's, it, it's all of them assume that every event, including tragic events, are part of God's great plan. There's a plan at work here. And, and whatever comes to pass, it all contributes to this great master plan. So everything happens right on time, just as it should happen. It's all part of the plan. God's timing is the right timing. So if a, if, if a child dies in the process of, of childbirth, well, it happened right on time, and just as it was supposed to happen. It's all part of the great plan. And you have to say that, Think about the implications of this for every tragedy that's ever happened. Every child gassed in Auschwitz. Oh, it happened right on time, just as it was supposed to. And if it was all for the better, it means it would have been worse if it didn't happen on time. If that child would have lived another year, oh, it would have been a tragedy. He died right on time. God's timetable. Do we really want to say that? And so every child who's sold into sex trafficking, kidnapped, raped, murdered, Every person who's ever lost loved ones, every war that's ever fought, every soldier died in a senseless war. Every one of them died right on time according to plan, just as it was supposed to happen. And the decreasing number of people hear that, and if that's what believing in God entails, they say, sorry, no way. I opt out. It's one thing to accept mystery. We all have to accept mystery at some point, but when it comes to saying that Everything here is part of God's doing, and yet you want to say God's all good and all loving. It just does not, in any sense, compute. And so people are opting out of it. If there's a higher power, well, it's a higher power that's not much concerned with us. This idea of a personal God who cares intimately about each and every one of us, if it entails this blueprint, this master plan, everything's, he's controlling everything, well, then some of us would feel a moral obligation to not believe in that God. When you consider the level of suffering that goes on in this world, if God's inflicting this on people, whatever his reason might be, we have, some would argue, a moral obligation not to believe in that God. But here's the thing. You like that slip, slurpy thing? First lesson on public speaking, never suck on ice when you're talking to a crowd, right? Lock that down. I take... As I say all the time around here, all of our cues about God should be taken from Jesus Christ, who is the full revelation of God. And here's the thing. Jesus spent his entire ministry dealing with people who had afflictions, who were suffering in different ways. 
And never once does Jesus suggest that a person's affliction and suffering was part of God's great plan. Never does he say, hey, you know, God's ways are not our ways, and you just got to accept this. I don't know why you have this leprosy, but, you know, it's, it's all part of the great plan. He never suggests such a thing. What he does is he reveals the Father's plans by healing people. Here's where the Father's at. He's on the side of the healing. He's on the side of life. He's on the side of human flourishing. Uh, he, he, he comes that we might all have abundant life. He's not on the side of the oppression and the affliction and, 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 the, and the pain. He's on the side of relieving people from their pain. And see, and sometimes Jesus gave teachings that directly contradict this idea that you can discern the hand of God behind life's tragedies. So, for example, one of the clearest is in Luke 13. Listen to this passage. It says, at that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Pilate was not a nice guy. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, that they were worse sinners than anyone else in Galilee? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Boom. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the other people living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. So Jesus is holding up two tragedies here. Pilate slaughtered a bunch of people and a tower fell on a bunch of people. And apparently there are people in the audience, as there always are, who are saying, well, they must have been getting their due. God must have been judging them. We're back in the book of Job here, right? If people are suffering, well, since God's controlling everything, it must be because you deserve it. And Jesus just refutes that. He goes, no, stop it, knock it off. Do you think that they were worse sinners than you or anyone else? No, it doesn't work like that. He says, what you ought to be concerned with, rather than judging other people, thinking that your sins are less than theirs, and that they deserve the hardships that come their way, rather than that, why don't you look in the mirror and, 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 and see the sin in your own life and turn from that, because all sin leads to destruction. What you ought to be worried about is your own relationship with God, not trying to guess what other people's relationship with God is based on what happens to them. See, the minute you start basing your view of God on what happens in this world, your view of God's going to tank, because there's a whole lot of crap that goes on in this world. Jesus here just... Knock that all off. So if we're, if, if we're anchoring our view of God on Jesus as we always should, I submit to you that we shouldn't be interpreting life's tragedies as coming from the hand of God, and we shouldn't go around thinking that everything that happens is part of God's great plan. So where does that leave us? If God's not controlling everything, if it's not all part of God's great plan, well, then is life just a crapshoot? If, 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 if the circumstances of our life are left open to chance, well, then where is God in any of this? And, and, and how do we trust that God's going to win in the end if he's not controlling everything? Thank you for asking that, because I love that question. Let's answer it. All right. I'm, I'm going to offer a different perspective here. Um, and I'm going to do it uh, making four points. All right. And uh, check this out. You don't have to agree with this. This is how I make sense of this thing. If you have a better way of making sense out of it, let me know. But four points here. Number one, I submit to you that God created human beings free and gave us moral responsibility. You find this throughout the Bible. The whole, the whole biblical narrative moves forward by people making choices and God responding to those choices and people responding to God's response to those choices. And so choices permeate the whole, the whole Bible. Here's one verse. 
as an example. The Lord says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. God says, you've got a choice here. You can go my way, and my way is the way of life. Because I designed this thing, and I kind of know how it runs best. If you go according to my plan, it's going to work really well for you. But if you decide to go your own way, and you're free to do that, then that will lead to death. You can tell yourself it won't lead to death. You can tell yourself it will lead to prosperity. You can tell yourself all the lies you want, but it's going to lead to death. It's clear that God wants us to choose life, because he loves us. And he knows that all sin brings about destruction. It's, it, destruction is inherent in sin. And so he's saying, no, go according to my way and live and thrive. But we are free to choose death. And when we choose death, it breaks God's heart. And in the end, it breaks our heart. And it hurts other people, harm all the way around. But God will not coerce us into making that decision. Because he made us free. In fact, and here you have to put on your philosophical caps now. Your thinking caps. Follow this. If God makes us free, God cannot coerce us. By definition. So think about free will this way. Free will is your say-so. You can have a say in what comes to pass. God empowers us to have say-so. Which means God no longer has all the say-so. He gives some of it to us. So my, my free will is my ability to go this way to this degree and have this effect on the world, or to go that way to that degree and have that effect on the world. And let's say that way is the bad way, a destructive way. I, I can go this way or that way. That's my free will. It's up to me to decide that. But now if God were to revoke that from me, take that one away, because he doesn't like that choice, then God clearly didn't give me the ability to go this way to this degree or that way to that degree. If God gives me the ability to go this way or that way, God's got to let me go that way, because that's what it means to give me the ability to go that way. <laughs> you following this? So by definition, free will, I told you to put your thinking caps on, think philosophically. By definition, it's irrevocable. God can't coerce a free agent for the same reason God can't make a round triangle or a married bachelor or an honest politician. It's just, it's not going to happen. It's a contradiction in terms. Sorry about that. If you're a politician, I apologize. Just having a little fun. So, so, so it's irrevocable. And that means then, if God's going to create this kind of a world with free agents, there are going to be some things that constrain God. Which leads to my second point. It means that God doesn't always get his way. God doesn't always get his way. Isaiah 30 says this. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, children of Israel here, who carry out a plan, but it's not mine, who make an alliance, but against my will, adding sin to sin. You guys are carrying out a plan, but it's not my plan. You're carrying out your will, but it's not my will. And that's the very definition of sin. Sin is going against the will of God. Um, and so if, if, if we carry out our own plans and, and they're sinful because they're contrary to God's plans, that entails, does it not, that not everything that happens is part of God's plan. There's other plans at work. There's other thinking at work. And so what happens in this world is not just a result of what God wants, it's a result of what God wants combined with what all these other beings want. We all have some say in what comes to pass and we can use it for better or for worse. And when we make those choices, 
the explanation for it and the responsibility for it lands on us, not God. So, so suppose I decide, being of sound mind and, and having free will, suppose I choose to throw this pen at Mary. Whoa, look at me! <laughs> now, suppose it stuck her in the eye. You know, she's blinded in one eye. It would make sense if I did that. Actually, I did do that. To ask me, Greg, why did you choose to throw the pen at Mary? That makes sense. And I'd try to give you an explanation. And I'm responsible for whatever harm happened to Mary, wouldn't I be? So, so if I blind you, sue me. Don't sue God. See, it would make sense to ask Greg, why did you do this? But it what doesn't make sense to say, hmm, why did God do that? Or why did God plan this? What was God's purpose in having Greg throw the pen at Mary? Because God didn't throw the pen at Mary. I did. And so the buck stops with me. Now, maybe the responsibility is partly shared by my parents who did, you know, screwed me up as a child. And, you know, there's other factors that, that contributed to it. But I'm the primary one who bears responsibility for it. And so, so we must not be blaming God for things that people and other agents choose to do. It doesn't work like that. So if we accept this, then we can understand how this world is a world where God doesn't always get his way. Where God has to allow people's choices and their ripple effects to be carried out. Now God can influence all around that and God can raise up other people to, to circumvent that. But God will not intervene and coerce people to make the right choices because by definition, he already gave them that choice. There's a restriction that's put on God the minute he decides to create this kind of world as opposed to a world where he would be controlling everything. He could have created that world where everything is going just as he wants because he's controlling everything. But that would be a world that is devoid of personality, a world that's devoid of moral responsibility, and a world that's incapable of love. And love is the point of the whole thing. Somebody say amen. All right. Third point, what about evils that happen that don't come from the hands of human beings? Well, natural disasters and things of that sort. I'll first say that human beings can contribute to natural disasters by screwing up our environment, and we're doing a pretty good job of that. But still, there are things that happen in nature that, that human beings aren't directly involved in, like parasites that kids can get, and, uh, diseases, sicknesses, all these things, mudslides, tornadoes, earthquakes. No human being caused that. And so how do you believe in a personal loving God when there's these acts of God that happen that kill a bunch of people? And I really don't like the fact that insurance, do insurance companies still do that? They refer to disasters as an act of God, barring an act of God. The last time we mentioned God in a legal document, it's to blame him for all the, the wrongs that are done in this world. What's, what's, what's wrong here? See, human beings, this is my third point, human beings aren't the only free agents that God created. According to Scripture, and in fact, this is what almost everybody throughout history has believed up until very recently, but there's, according to Scripture, there's a, a vast society, a multi-tiered society of invisible agents um, that, that, that also affect what comes to pass. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about this, but these, these agents go by different names. They're sometimes called angels, and some are called authorities and principalities and powers and rulers and dominions, and there's a number of names for them. Um, and, and they have different positions and, and different strata in this invisible society of, 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 of agents. Uh, we could just call them cosmic agents. And the belief... In the apocalyptic setting of the New Testament, which is where these terms come into play, 
we know that the understanding is that these agents, just, just like human beings, were given authority over the earth and the animal kingdom, and were given responsibility for the earth and the animal kingdom. My first mandate, take care of my property and my pets. Our number one responsibility. Well, just as God gave us our free agency, this responsibility of caring for the earth and the animal kingdom, so also God gave this, these cosmic agents a domain of responsibility, but it's much broader than ours. Where we are, have dominion over this earth, they have dominion, responsibility for areas of the whole cosmos and uh, for, for systemic aspects of society. But they can use that authority that God gave them, just like we can use our authority for the better or for the worse. We can go this way or we can go that way with it. So also these cosmic agents can go this way or that way with the authority that they have. And according to the Bible, and this is what most people throughout history have believed up until the last couple hundred years, that some of these cosmic agents are good. They align their will with God. They form the, we read about in the Old Testament, the heavenly council, uh, where God invites them to give input on the running of the universe, just like God participates with us in, 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 in running this universe. And when we affect things for, for the better, for the worse, using our say-so. So there's this heavenly council of these good agents. But we're also told that some of these cosmic agents are not good. Some, there has been some kind of a rebellion. And uh, they've now aligned their wills against God's will. They carry out their own plans, not God's plan. Carry out their own will, not God's will. And so they use that authority now to corrupt aspects of the creation and to further corrupt aspects of human society. And just like when human beings fall, when we rebel against God, everything that we're responsible suffers. Right now, the earth is suffering and animals are suffering because human beings are separated from God. We've alienated ourselves from God and it comes out on everything that we're responsible for pays the price for that. So also with these cosmic agents, when they rebel against God, they use the authority that God had given them now at cross purposes with God. And so they bring corruption into things and destruction into things and they mess everything up. And so so we we find, for example, that in in the New Testament, Far from attributing people's suffering to God, what you find in the Gospels is that uniformly they attribute suffering to Satan and to demons. Directly or indirectly. It doesn't mean that there's a demon behind every sickness someone has. But it does mean if it wasn't for the rebellion of these cosmic powers, there wouldn't be things like these diseases that, and, and, and illnesses and infirmities that Jesus confronts. So we read, for example, in Acts 10, it says, The message spread throughout Judea, the message of the Gospel, It spread throughout Judea how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. This is Peter preaching to Cornelius. Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. He went about healing all who were oppressed by the devil. The implication is that all the people he healed were being oppressed by the devil. Directly or indirectly. Uh, Satan, who is portrayed as being the head of this whole cosmic rebellion, um, is the one that's ultimately behind the infirmities that Jesus confronts in his ministry. Now today, I'm assuming that science could explain all of those infirmities just by appealing to the laws of physics. Given the laws of physics as they now operate, X number of people are going to be born with this deformity, X number of people are going to be blind, uh, you're going to get lupus, you're going to, all the things that he deals with can be explained by science, natural law. But yet the New Testament and Jesus himself says, no, these are not natural things. These are intrusions into God's good creations. These are not supposed to be here. 
What that tells us is that the laws that operate right now in this universe are not identical with the laws that God originally created. They've been corrupted. We don't know any of the details about this, but right now things don't operate exactly the way that they're supposed to operate. Everything's a little bit broken, and that's why nature itself doesn't operate the way that God originally designed it to operate. Why nature is so red in tooth and claw, as Tennyson said. If you ever look into it, there's so much nasty stuff that happens out there in the natural world. There's a book, if you want to really get depressed, read it. It's, 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 it's called uh, what is it? Dark Nature. Forget the author. Dark Nature. And he's just a biologist who looks at all the really nasty stuff that happens in nature. And he offers an explanation for it. And so we see that in nature, you can still see the glory of God throughout the universe. You know, the majesty and the beauty. Yes, you see God there. But you see a whole lot of stuff that doesn't look anything like God. Doesn't reflect his character at all. Consider the hyena, for example. What a diabolical creature. I'm sorry. I mean, other than just looking ugly, these things are nasty. Did you know that hyenas, they almost always give birth to twins? I got this from that book, Dark Nature. They give birth to twins. And as soon as those twins come out of the womb, they attack each other. And they fight to the death until one of them is dead. Isn't it delightful? Oh, I say to myself, what a wonderful world. Yeah, it's like... See, something's off with that. Something's off with that. And mosquitoes are in the same category. So here's the thing. C.S. Lewis said this. He goes, at every moment, every square inch of the cosmos of the universe is claimed by Satan and counterclaimed by God. He's saying that this warfare permeates the very fabric of our existence. It's, it's It's a... there's, there's something corrupting going all the way down to the very square, every square inch of this cosmos. And, and that's why, you know, you look at this world and there's wonderful beauty and incredible stuff, but there's also horrendous nightmare stuff. And it's like, how can these two things coexist? It's almost as though you think that there's good and evil and beauty and ugliness fighting against one another in this universe. Actually, according to the Bible, that's exactly the way things are. That's why this world's messed up. And that leads to my final point. And possibly my most important point, and that is, in the end, God, who is perfect love, wins. This is, however you explain the problem of evil, grab hold of this. Can you trust that however things appear now, love wins in the end? God is love, and God wins in the end. Um, In fact, Paul says, and I, I, can't, I never get tired of quoting this passage, but in Romans 8, he says that he considers the present suffering of this world to be, um, or the, the, he compares the glory that God has in store for us can't be compared to the sufferings of this world. Like the glory that will be revealed to us will be so great, it will render all the sufferings of this world insignificant. Can we trust that love will win that thoroughly, that in the end, God's love will permeate the entire creation? And here's how God will win. People ask, well, if God's not controlling everything, how does he win? I submit to you that he wins because he's so smart. And his character is so good. Uh, You know, God is infinitely intelligent. There's no limit to God's intelligence. And so God can anticipate, he does anticipate from the very beginning of, of creation, every possible thing that could ever take place. Think about that. Trillion years ago, God was aware that at this point in time, I might just do this with this piece of paper. <laughs> he knew every possibility. And knowing every possibility, he has a, a contingency plan in place for every possibility. 
So whenever it comes to pass, God's been preparing a plan to respond to that from the foundation of the world because he's that smart as to how to bring good out of evil. I don't think God, I don't think for a moment that God causes evil. No, he's completely light. In him, there is no darkness. There's not one shadow of, of, of malice in God. But God, given that the world is going to have this evil because there's all these other wills that bring it about, God is the master of bringing good out of it, of bringing redeem, turning it to his advantage because he's so smart. And I, I just think a God who wins by virtue of his wisdom and his character, I think that's such, such a much more praiseworthy view of God than a God who has to control everything to win. Seems to me that people try to control others when they don't trust their own character and wisdom to run things. A good leader doesn't control people. A good leader just inspires people by their wisdom and by their character. How's it different with God? I think a God who empowers others, even though it's going to cost him everything, he empowers others, but he leads by his wisdom and his character. I think that's a beautiful God, and that's the God who's revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And the promise of God, the promise of God is that in the end, in the end, his love will win. His love will transform everything. He will redeem everything. Uh, that, that even right now, the Bible says that by means of the cross, which is to say by means of God's other-oriented, self-sacrificial, humble, giving love, by, that means God is right now reconciling everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth to himself and to one another, thus bringing peace, uh, shalom throughout this cosmos, Colossians 1, 19 and 20. Can we trust that in the end, it will be more than worth it? Hallelujah. As this world continues to unravel and it's unraveling at an accelerating pace, I find this hope to be just so, so precious. Hang on to this. Believe in this. Envision this. God's love will win in the end. And our job then is to be moving in that direction, to help love be winning in our own lives and winning the lives of our family and winning the lives of our friends, to be warriors of love on behalf of God who's assured us the victory in the end. Amen, amen, amen. I want to end this way. Uh, you know, the problem of evil is not just an intellectual problem. Uh, it, it's, it's an existential problem. It's one that we all face. You can't go through this world and, and avoid pain. Um, uh, some people are really good at sticking their head in the sand, but it's impossible. And some of us have taken huge hits. We all take hits. We're in a war zone. How can we not take hits? We take hits. Maybe it's a dream that you had that never came to pass Disappointed like Susan, loss of a loved one, a marriage that failed, an accident that left you disabled, loved one who abandoned you or who died, maybe it's some sickness or disease that you're afflicted with or a loved one's afflicted with, maybe it's scars that you carry from childhood, we all take hits. We all take hits. Um, but God is a genius at bringing good out of it. One of the things he wants to do is to, to share that with us. What the cross means is that God is on the inside God dives into our stuff. He's on the inside. He knows what you're experiencing. He's on the inside of that experience. He's not observing you with it. He's with you in it. And so right now, just imagine, Holy Spirit, help us right here. I want you to think of one ache that you've got in life, one hit that you've taken. Could be recent, it could be distant, could be from childhood. Just represent it in your mind. And if you're able to, if this, is where, if this is where your faith is, I want you to invite Jesus into that ache. Just invite Jesus into that ache, into that pain. And, 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 and the Holy Spirit will 
do what is right and, and, and communicate what needs to be communicated. But you might see, I just find so much healing when I invite Jesus in on the memory of, of a hit that I took, sometimes literally, and Jesus weeps with me. Because even that's so healing. It negates the message. Sometimes you might get a message growing up that, you know, you deserve this. You, your worth is such that you deserve this abuse or this neglect. But when Jesus enters that experience with you and is sharing it with you and cries with you, you know, he's saying, no, no, that wasn't, he reverses the message. That, that's not your worth. Your worth comes from my love for you. And you're worth me entering into this. Let Jesus just be there with you. Just knowing that you're not alone. That the one who loves you the most and knows you the best is on the inside. That itself brings healing. Holy Spirit, do your work in our life. And I encourage us on a regular basis to make God our single dialogue partner and then invite him in on the pain and watch the brilliance and the love and the beauty of God transform you into his image by that means. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being here and being with us. Uh, and, and, and God, we thank you for being a God who is altogether good, altogether lovely, altogether pure, altogether loving, in whom there's no shadow of turning, no malice. We together trust you for that. We trust that, you're gonna, that you will win in the end. And we ask you to be in the process of healing us right now. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen and amen. Don't forget, we got the MuseCast on Tuesdays. We've got gathering groups. I encourage you to check those out. And um, that's pretty much, what? Oh, and we have prayer here in the, in the, in the uh, auditorium and also online. And I encourage you to, whatever ache you've got, don't, don't, don't carry that alone. Help, help some folks uh, pray for you. And whatever it is that you have need, they'd love to minister to you. You guys, this week, let's love passionately God our neighbor as ourself and the earth and the animal kingdom. God bless you guys.